0: Welcome to the USU Career Studio podcast that helps you navigate your career path. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to tell your friends and family all about it. Subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or anywhere else you listen to get access to our newest content. Thanks for joining us for our Friday face-to-face episode. I'm Marissa Armistead, your host, and I am so excited to have Miles Fullwider joining us today. Welcome, Miles.
1: Thank you so much. Happy to be here.
0: Miles is a musical, jack-of-all-trades kind of guy. He is a producer, engineer, and educator. He holds a master's degree in music specializing in music technology from the Steinhardt School at New York University and an advanced certificate in Tonmeister Studies from New York University. Miles has produced and engineered for many Grammy and Emmy award-winning artists and produced and engineered several chart-topping and award-winning albums. He has also produced several film scores. As an educator, Miles serves as the Chair, Program Director, and Assistant Professor of Music Technology Program and Digital Media Management Program at the University of St. Francis in Fort Wayne, Indiana. So, Miles, I am coming with you today with so many questions, (laughs) but before we talk about your impressive musical history and accomplishments, I have to know more about your hypothetically being recruited by a government agency. What can you tell us?
1: Uh, so... Yeah, that's a little bit of trivia for you. The short of that is, so in the early 2000s, I served a mission for my church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and had the opportunity to learn Korean and spent two years in California. And I think many people have had this sort of experience. And I, I knew that this happened occasionally to people as they came home from missions potentially in various parts of the world. And when I came home from my mission, there was a period of time where there were a few different recruiting agents that. Had called, and there was a little bit of back and forth and things like that. And so, yeah, there's definitely a a point of kind of considering that and seeing what that might be. (laughs) Obviously, I didn't.
0: Crazy, crazy. Well, I love it. And so this month, Miles, we're talking all about failures in the context of our careers. And I hope you're not offended that we asked you to join the show today. I know that probably could be a mixed message.
1: (laughs) Well, I I told my wife that and I told her what the topic was. And she just laughed and smiled and said, Oh, well, you've got a lot to talk about. So
0: (laughs) Perfect. So we have the right person here. (laughs) I I don't know. Well, you know, as I was I was looking for people to chat with us about this topic, Lindsay, our our awesome editor for the podcast, she said, Miles is great. And it got me to thinking about the music industry. And I, I realized that pursuing music as a full time gig for most people, that's a pipe dream. But you actually made it happen. So I've really been looking forward to this conversation because I'm guessing you've probably come into several road bumps as you've moved throughout your career. So <laughs> so really excited for our conversation today, Miles. Well, Thank you. So, Miles, to begin today, I'd actually love to go back in time, take us back to high school and paint a picture for us. What kind of a kid were you, you know, what were you interested in? How did you spend your free time?
1: man, you should ask my parents this. I think you get different answers (laughs) from my perspective. So for me, high school, just all growing up, music was a big part of my life. No expectation as far as professional pursuits by any means from my family. But I started playing the violin when I was three years old and began playing guitar around 12-ish, I believe. And so I had this dual personality musically where the violin was all about the classical experience and orchestras and all of that. And then guitar was definitely, rock band, blues, jazz, everything else. And so in high school, that was a time that I was really digging into music. And so I was very involved. I played in our orchestra and chamber orchestra. I was playing in bands at that time and putting together that. I loved mountain biking and skateboarding. So it was everything from playing classical music and then listening to punk rock while I was skating down the street. So Love it. <laughs> like, Love I it. Like <laughs> So,
0: okay. So after high school, you decided to pursue a college education and originally you had planned to major in computer science and you had actually been working in IT, I think since you were like 15. So that wasn't a new concept to you, but I'm curious, I'd love to hear about the relationship and perhaps maybe the struggle between IT and music that you have, because it sounds like at the time you were probably interested in both, but I'm curious why initially upfront did you choose IT as kind of the career path?
1: Yeah. So getting into IT was a bit of an accident. Really, the long short is my older brother started a landscaping business when he was in like junior high or high school, you know, mowing lawns for people and whatever. And so as he moved on into college, that was sort of bequeathed to me. And I have to tell you, I hated it. (laughs) I have really bad allergies. And so as a teenager, spending your summers was just feeling like garbage because of allergies. And I mean, I guess it was nice for the suntan, you know, being a teenager that there was, that was like the single perk, but I just decided I was done. I I just couldn't deal with it. I was over it. And I remember telling my parents and my mom reinforced the idea of that's good money for somebody. Yeah. I was like, yeah, but I, I don't know. And so my younger brother, who's very entrepreneurial minded, happily stepped into that mode. And so I had some other part-time jobs at different times. But my father, we had a neighbor several blocks down casually one day in passing. I said, hey, do you have anything Miles can do? And this neighbor, he had an IT company. He was a developer himself. And, you know, I was always interested in technology. That's always been a part of interest to mine. But it was definitely one of those times as a teenager, you're like, dad, stop talking. Like, no. But I have to say, I've I've been blessed with amazing mentors in so many different facets. And this individual, his name was Roy, and he was amazing for me. And he looked at this and said, you know, he, he'd struggled because he'd hired so many different college grads and things. And they all come in with sometimes a good level of training, but definitely some egos or perspectives on an industry that they have little experience in. And so he was really excited in taking somebody that had no experience at all to train that person as he saw fit. And so I worked with him for many years. And again, as a phenomenal mentor, you know, this is late 90s, beginning in that time frame, and installing first fiber optic networks for cities and large network infrastructures and building and repairing computers and stuff. And it was just it was exciting. I love the tech Technology, I still do, and I, that's kind of even how I get into music. In the sense where some people come from it, maybe from an electrical engineering background, and I, I came to it from more of a computer science background, but. To that point, I mean, he was such an amazing mentor because he sat me down several times and I was always planning to go to college and I was loving what I was doing and working with him. I was going to go into computers in some fashion and he would sit me down pretty frequently and just say, okay, here's the deal. And again, like when you think about like, if anyone can remember back before, like, you know, the dot-com bubble, he was just very adamant. He's like, whatever you do, you're going to college. And that was always a goal. So it was never a problem. I was like, yeah, of course. Yeah, that's my plan. And and he told me even when I was, like I say, when I started working for him and then I was going into high school, he flat out, he's like "If your grade slid, you're out. Because you're going to have lots of opportunities in life to not go to college, to jump on these opportunities, make a lot of money. He's just like, you're going to go to college. And he's like, and if you find out your grades slip at all, why? Because you're working for me like it's over. And he was so good for me. Just being that age and having somebody that takes a vested interest in you, what what kind of jobs do most 15-year-olds have where you have an employer that really interested in you personally and tells you like, remember all that sweet computer extra supply stuff you got and you've built all these machines? Like, I'm taking all that and you're out if you can't uphold your end of the bargain. And so it was a really great expectation. I was worth something. That was a really great, formidable experience for me professionally.
0: Absolutely. Well, and I love that you bring up the importance of mentors. I can't talk enough to the people who have helped me succeed. And I think that's a really interesting point that early on you had that mentor. And I agree. I don't think most 15 year olds probably have quite that experience, but I think that's amazing. And again, to be able to talk through your goals and professionally and and probably personally too, I think is is such an important part of building our goals long-term and some career goals in mind. So I love all of that. So as you kind of transition from maybe this high school experience, where you're working for this great company, you have this great mentor, then you move into the college space. Talk to us about your first couple semesters while you're pursuing this IT degree.
1: Yeah, so I, again, you know, I started college, it was full on computer science. And again, I I love the technology side of it. And there was a two year gap, as I mentioned before, about learning Korean, and then all that stuff. But when I came back, I kind of picked up where I left off. Before I left, I was working in IT had a really great job. That's kind of my joke to my students is like, why'd you switch? I was like, Oh, I decided to make a lot less money. (laughs) you know. (laughs) So I came back and married my wife in 2003. And we dated in high school. And there's all of that. But She's amazing and incredibly supportive. And interestingly enough, her father and brothers and her family are all very deep in computers, computer science. There's long history there of all of that and are very successful in those regards. And so we got married and then I was getting back into school and going into computers and It was just the time I was playing in bands. I had several different times in some of the bands that I was in. We had some pretty exciting prospects with labels or potential tours and all these kinds of things. And so, you know, that was always in the back of my mind as far as whatever I want to do. That's got to be part of it in some way. And it was our first year of being married and I was in school and I just started doing some home recording. I was playing in some bands and things of that nature. And in my mind, I knew what I wanted to do, but it was that idea of like, cool, let's just like throw stability and security out the window and do something totally crazy. And so I wasn't quite sure how to approach it. And so I remember just like discussing with my wife, yeah, I'm feeling kind of burned out. I just I just don't know. I just don't see myself in this thing. And, and she was like, well, what do you see yourself doing? And of course I didn't want to like jump to music. Yeah. I was like, yeah, you know, this music thing's going great. Let's do this. And we're living in the basement of your grandmother's like, what, what a great time to make this, (laughs) make this decision. And no, I just was like, I don't know. And then she immediately goes back and she says, you want to record music? And I was like, yeah. (laughs) And she was like, Great. She's like, "Finally, I've been waiting for this." She's like, "I've never envisioned you as a developer, or, you know, or programmer." You know, she's like, "I've just been waiting like <laughs> for this." So at that point it was great, you know, change of major, change of plans. And it was just full speed ahead.
0: Wow. Well, kudos to your wife. That's a lot of trust and support. And obviously it paid off, but good for her.
1: (laughs) And it continues to this day. So I'm eternally grateful.
0: So you start playing in some bands. You're now really focused on music. So talk to us about the transition to New York, because eventually you actually moved to New York to to pursue a master's degree.
1: Yeah. So again, that was never my, you know, looking at a master's degree. I mean, Education's always been important to me. And I think it's been important to me because it is hard. And my students would like roll their eyes if they heard me say this. But the truth is, I always felt, I mean... I wasn't felt like it was the case like school assignments like just that academic process like took me 10 times as long as it took classmates and I think I don't know I always worked really hard and my parents kind of laugh when they're like wow you're the one that's teaching in a university so there's (laughs) lots of comments like that amongst my family but I value that process and so New York was really interesting for me for two things one is you know looking into programs suddenly I just I wanted to be challenged I wanted to be challenged both academically and professionally and I've been to New York a few different times performed and traveling through and things like that. And from the moment stepping foot in that environment, I was like, I really identify in this environment. So that was like my first choice. And then got my master's at NYU. And that was the program when I was considering a number of different programs. That was, you know, my first choice and things like that. So it was this idea of just, I wanted to be in an environment that would really kick my backside as far as, you know, just being in a professional and academic environment. It's like, you're not the best. There's a million people standing in line for your job. And I just, I think I craved something like that. And that was why that was. really an exciting opportunity for me.
0: So a move is a pretty big deal. And I'm curious, we're talking about this idea of failure. And really, we aren't focusing on the failure. We're focusing on the learning aspect of maybe making mistakes or doing something difficult. But I'm curious, throughout all of these experiences, were there ever moments where you doubted your ability as a musician? Was there ever that head trash that you went through?
1: Yeah, man. Again, like my wife would be great. She's my therapist and all this stuff. So yeah, all the time, you know, all all the time, there's always that self-doubt and you're always comparing yourself. I think that's important artistically just to see the worlds around you and how things change and develop. And I think there's interesting growth, but I mean, it's like how you use that comparison, you know, that can be really developmental or it can be really catastrophic. And so... I mean, when I first started there, I mean, I was really excited to be in New York, but yeah, there was definitely that feeling of, uh, they're going to realize I'm not good. And then you just interact with all these amazing musicians and professionals and engineers and producers. And you just, sometimes you just have nothing to say because you're just like, I don't even know what to say. I don't know what questions to ask. You're just trying to soak something in, you know, ultimately having a good support system, whatever that is, a spouse, a friend, a dog. I, I mean, that's an important part to pull you through that funk for sure.
0: Yes, and, and something that really caught my attention as you were sharing that, you said that comparison can be used as a good tool, which is really interesting because right now I would say societally, we're very against, you know, you shouldn't compare yourself to anyone. And I think there's a logic behind that that makes a lot of sense. But in the sense of careers, I do think it's important. And it sounds like, especially in the musical world, to compare yourself to others in the sense of identifying where am I at professionally? And maybe where do I want to get to? And so I think sometimes we have to compare maybe our skill sets or abilities to those of higher caliber so that we can reach a higher goal. And so I actually really like that you use that as a way to propel yourself rather than a way to maybe not have the confidence or whatever else. Stress myself, because <laughs> there's, yes. there's plenty
1: of that there too. I mean, there's, we can talk about that, but I just think it's important. And I agree. I think as a whole, it's a slippery slope if it's not controlled. Again, I, but artistically, I think it's, it's very important to be cognizant of the world around you, what is happening musically, visually, because there's just a lot of influences that are drawn on from that. And, And so I think kind of that idea of like, you can't compare. And it's like, it almost sounds like you're putting the blinders on and I don't see it that way. Yeah.
0: Okay. So follow up question to this, how did you make the jump between I have a degree in music to, I actually have a paying job in music. And I know that you were like doing maybe some side gigs and and all of that, but where did that transition happen for you?
1: I think it happens gradually. Again, I can just kind of keep throwing funny jokes about my family into this. I think I joke I don't think my mother-in-law thought I had a real job until I had my first like teaching appointment just because of the freelance industry of what that is. And again, I, I have a very strong support system. So I'm, I'm very grateful that way. But because of that, you know, it's a gradual process. You're always doing things on the side. And I think it's more of, a, of those moments when you find yourself working with professionals or people that you truly admire. And then all of a sudden you find yourself in the same room with them and you're in the same room with them, not as a fan, you're in the same room with them because there's a skill or a service that you can do for them. And it's not an, oh, I made it moment. It's just a really collegiate excitement that you're part of something that's bigger than any one person.
0: You can add value. Yeah. Yeah, exactly.
1: Again, like there's so many people that we admire, whether you know it's athletes or musicians or business people or just even good mentors or whatever that is. But just that ability to just be in a position up that you can provide something of value to somebody like that. That's an incredible experience.
0: Love that. And I have a follow up question to that. So I know that you have had lots of different experience, especially with the Grammys, which I know people are really interested in. And so I have to bring that up. But I'd love to hear about one, one of the most memorable projects that you have worked on or been a part of. And then two, just kind of fill in the gaps of, you know, what were you doing in that space? What was your role? Yeah. Man. So many.
1: (laughs) Yeah, there's so many, but some of those are even incredible moments. Well, I'll tell you two that are like very contrasting. So one moment was a very independent artist. It was a record that I was working on and with a female singer songwriter. And I remember working on a song and it was very important to her. Personally, you know, sometimes you work with artists, you work with material that, you know, maybe this might not make it on the radio, but there's a reason that they've got to get it out. And sometimes that is just a special experience to be part of that process. Cause there's something really, just really incredible about that. And so I remember we were working on something. The song was about some struggles and things like this, that she had gone through. And I remember we're in the studio. Together and you know we're midway cutting the vocal. We're tracking the vocals. The other parts are done. We're you know we're kind of putting the finishing things and we're working on the vocals, getting them right. And she completely breaks down. And it was just this really intimate moment where we were really connected with what was happening musically and just that experience to be part of something that had that kind of meaning is you can't describe that. So there's that kind of experience where, you know, I was functioning as an engineer and a producer and I was trying to work with her, get this performance out of her and all these things. And, and, and we got it. I mean, just like getting her into that headspace where she was, for lack of a better example, I mean, she's kind of an emotional mess. Then recording those vocals, it was very, oh, I mean, you're, it's heavy. You get through the song and you just, you just have to exhale. And so there's that kind of an experience Also, you have the the opposite of that where, you know, I had the opportunity to do a lot of different projects with Jazz at Lincoln Center in New York City, which consists of some of the finest musicians in the world. And it's one thing to work with a really amazing musician, you know, in an isolated event. But when you're working with these people over and over on another record or another performance, and it's just day in, day out, you see that high level of efficiency. And being part of that, you know, in those capacities, I was an assistant engineer or an engineer, depending on what the project was. So my job was to make sure things were going down smoothly. Other times my role would be reading down the musical score. And so I was keeping track of all the different musicians. And the first time that ever happened, I just remember this happened. To be a session with Wynton Marsalis and the Jazzling Center Orchestra. I remember preparing for this. I had all these scores, and I was doing all this score study, just trying to look at this, and know where the parts, and all. Some some of it was original music, some of it wasn't, and I just had this like sick pit in my stomach being like, how do I get on the talk back and tell these musicians, we need to do that again, or that wasn't right, or that wasn't good, because these are all people that I completely admire. And so I was so nervous through that whole process. My job is to say if something didn't go down. So if let's say one of the trumpet lines happened to get lost or something like that, or if there was a lob of some notes. It's my job, my sole job. I was the only one doing this to catch that.
0: And critique. And
1: <laughs> Yeah. And if, and if I say that was fine and we move on and then we go back and we evaluate the takes and we realize that wasn't recorded. I mean, this is a jazz orchestra of between like 15 to 30 people, depending. I mean, that's just not an easy thing. Like, oh, let's just call everybody back, let's set back up. So super nervous. But that was one of those incredible experiences to just be in that role. I feel like those kinds of experiences, they really set you up for the next thing. I think mean, that's a big stretch. Up until that point, I had never really done a lot of large orchestral scores or Jazz orchestra scores and stuff like that. But then after I've done that sort of a thing, I began doing that in many other instances and sessions and stuff like that. And it really prepared me for some of the other things that particularly like with some of the film scores and things like this that I'd worked on. And so sometimes those situations, I guess this is the opposite of failure. It was it was a bit of a success, but man, I walked into that feeling like a failure. So. <laughs>
0: Amazing. And I love the contrast of the two different experiences that we can find fulfillment in different spaces. And it kind of, and I didn't prepare you for this question. So I apologize in advance. So I'm not a musical person. I mean, I've taken some voice lessons. I've I've tried to like work on this as a skill, but it's not something that comes naturally to me, I would say. But I have felt the effects of music and it's powerful. And I think something that you touched on is there's this emotional humanistic piece that comes through music that I haven't seen in any other space. Now, you can find really powerful content in Word and and lots of other places, but music brings just something special to the table. So talk to us about what does music mean to you in that sense?
1: I've always been surrounded by it. It's always been part of my life. I've loved the eclectic nature of that. As an educator, it's pretty funny. I always feel like sometimes I have like a petri dish of people that I can just like kind of manipulate and see what happens. But it's kind of that argument where I've never understood that, oh, I don't like this kind of music, right? Oh, I don't like classical music. It's boring. It's like, okay. Or I don't like country music. It's twangy. Or I don't like rap and hip hop. It's aggressive. And I understand the sentiment to an extent as far as my assumption is always that it's usually due to a lack of experience more than anything, but for me, music is music. There's so many developments even over the last few years that have really changed the genre boundaries and things. And it's hard to classify some things, which I think is fun. I I actually enjoy when somebody sends me something or I'm reviewing something and the classification, it's like this and this and this and this and this. You know, there's just this long stream of some kind of explanation of what it's like because I have a hard time communicating that. And I actually enjoy that process. And I I just think that for me, it's just a vital part of who I am. It's a part of like how I communicate communicate? I don't know. It's hard to put it into words. That's a great question. I should have asked you to sing a
0: song and maybe you could have. <laughs> I don't
1: really sing that much. I mean, it's just a part of a fabric of who we are. Just the other day I was in class and we were listening to something. We picked a pop track that no one had listened to. A student suggested it. No one knew what it was. And I played it. And sure enough, three seconds in, heads are moving, toes are tapping. Like what can focus attention and get that kind of a response other than music? I don't
0: know of anything. Love that. Love that so much. Okay, so Miles, you're in the music world, you're doing well in your industry. And at some point you decide you actually want to start teaching. So talk to us about that transition to teaching. So that was something that
1: I had a another great mentor. Oh, he actually just passed away this year. So trying to keep that together. But when I started going to graduate school, he was always like, hey, you should get into this teaching gig thing, man. It's pretty sweet. (laughs) You know, nine months a year, three months off. And my hesitancy and my frustration with it was like, you know what? I could totally get into teaching, but I want to work with focused, serious students. I don't want to deal with any people that are just like, don't care. I just don't have a lot of patience for that because I love it so much. You know, I bounce off the walls with new things and excitement of instruments and technology and stuff like this. Just as excited as I am today as I was when I first started. And so that's always been really important to me. But this mentoring thing, I recognize I've had so many important key mentors in my life that really gave me a shot when they didn't need to. There was no commitment, no reason to. And so I've looked at it a bit of as my way to do that in some way, because I do recognize I've had some amazing opportunities that I feel like if I can create those opportunities for others, or if I can at least try to share some information or give some technique or practice from, that's what I wanted to do. And so as I was finishing graduate school, I had the opportunity to do, you know, a lot of colleagues, they start going, picking up teaching positions elsewhere and you start finding yourself being guest lectures at places and and you kind of get bit by that bug. And so I had done some lectures and really decided, yeah, maybe, yeah, let's, let's, let's check this out. And so I started to look for something like that, that I could really dive into. But the caveat for me was that it needed to be an institution that recognized and appreciated my professional work. You know, there were some specific institutions that I interviewed with that they flat out told me, no, you're not going to be doing your professional work. Like you're going to be working on this. You'll be doing some research for us, but this is how you're going to be spending your time. And that just doesn't work for me. And so when I'm not in class, like I'm working on records, I'm making these things. And I think that And I say this all the time that if I'm not able to do that stuff professionally, I feel like a complete crook in the classroom. You know, I can't stand in front of students telling them how to navigate an industry and how to try to get songs and film and TV, for example, if I wasn't doing that just last night for other projects and artists that I'm working with and producing. And so it changes so quickly that I need to be part of that. And if I'm not part of that, it's just, again, other people can do it and they're amazing educators and I have no, there's no shade there. But for me, I just in my insides, it just aches. I can't do that. And so it's it it took some time for me to find a right circumstance that would work for me that I felt would be a good balance between my professional career as well as what I wanted to do with education.
0: Miles, would you be willing to share when classroom flop a time when something just absolutely failed? And then I'd love to hear following up a time that something went really Right.
1: So a good flop in the classroom, I guess I could give you a couple of both like professionally or in the classroom if you'd like. So in the classroom, I mean, there's, (laughs) there's like those, those days where you're like, okay, this is how you use, you know, like there's, there's a big recording console behind me. Like this is how you use it. And you get in and the students are watching you and you're just like, things aren't working as they should. And you're just fumbling around and uh, you can see students are starting to look at their watch and you realize it's been 45 minutes of class and you're thinking, "I, I trust me, I know how this stuff works. I have no idea what is happening today. And so that happens occasionally. You know, another thing was, is I taught a critical listening course before and through the course of that, we're, you know, it's all about just really training the ear to recognize whether it's musical things or frequency things, technical things, and Oh, man, it's one of those times you create these projects and they're good. You know, they're amazing. And it's one of those things you're thinking, the student's going to get out of college and be like, I don't know about whatever. But that one class, that one day we did this one project with Miles, that made all the difference in my life. And they were analyzing some different things. And I remember it was like this whole A, B, we're playing this, we're playing this, playing this, playing this. And sure enough, it was the worst project. Like it didn't work out they couldn't hear the difference. And it wasn't because of failure on their parts. It just didn't come together. I had amped this up for like a week and it was just a complete failure. <laughs> um, you know, it's times like that. You walk out and you're like, they've got to think I'm a joke. like. They <laughs> so that was a failure in the sense of what I think was a really fun success. So just recently, just this past semester, you know, the, the year we're in right now, I think the smallest amount of successes are big wins right now. I was teaching a class in the fall that was all on immersive audio. And so to give a little context, this is 360 sound. So we see that a lot when we see things, if you've been to a movie theater, when you could do those things. <laughs> but Dolby Atmos is one format that's this whole immersive experience. There's a lot of things with like V, VR, video games and headsets. That's this whole spatialization. You turn and you move and sound remo- moves in concert with all of that experience. And so that's a deep passion of mine is making music in that space for people to experience. And that's a whole other podcast we could talk about. But I was teaching this class and we at the university, we put in a full Atmos, Adobe Atmos. We have height speakers and all this sort of thing. And so my approach to this, because I do this both professionally, is, is I work in the, in the area of post-production. So sound for film, TV, things of that nature that's multi-channel and surround and immersive and all these kinds of things. And then I also do music in that same space. So being able to fully feel immersed in maybe it's an or- orchestra in an environment, or maybe it's just a pop track that it's it's very artific- It's all artificial. So we can build the soundscape however we want. So I had this class and it was a great group of students. And the post side of things people get, I go to a movie, I want to feel like I'm in the action. It's a big car chase. Yeah. Like surround me with sound. And I challenged my students to push back on me. And there's a few that were like, I don't know, the music thing, I get it somewhat, but I just don't. I don't know. And, and they kept kind of pushing back. Like, I I don't know. I get it. And I, again, I work with some amazing professionals and musicians and producers that are like, I don't know, two ears, two speakers. That's all it is needs to be for me. So we got the system all set up in our studio B here. And I created some demo material that was going to take full advantage of that. And so we did some film stuff. So it was like, of course that feels natural and that's fun and exciting. And maybe it was like four jokers in that class that were pushing back at me all the time about music and they themselves are musicians and they're in like really cool bands. And so it's not like they're detached, but they just didn't see the value. They sat in the, you know, they stood or sat, I can't remember in the sweet spot there. And I played them some music and their jaws just dropped. And they just looked at me and they just said, I get it. And it had been just 10 seconds of content. And then like they're smiling big and they're experiencing, it's a whole euphoric experience. And so that was just a big win to like really demonstrate, here's some technology. What can you do with this? And someone just being able to just catch that glimpse now. And then then they're just like, oh, now they've got all these ideas and things like that that they want to utilize it. So that was a big win.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing those. I'm asking you so much that I didn't prep you for. So thank you. <laughs> it's fine. I'm probably making this far too long. So I no, apologize. no, this is great. Well, we are actually, we are coming to a close here. So I do want to end on one final question. And that question is, if you could offer up one piece of advice to students about turning failures into bright futures, what would it be, Miles?
1: Oh, again, these would be great questions to ask some of those people that are close in my life, because they would probably say, well, yeah, they done to those differently. But I think about that, and I don't know that I can offer anything that hasn't been said before, but I'll say two things about that. One is the composer Gustav Mahler, I'm a big fan of Mahler's works, but I believe he's credited with this quote of saying, Something to the fact that if composers could communicate what they i 'm paraphrasing, but if, it's, if composer could com- could communicate what they were trying to communicate with words they wouldn 't write music or something of that, and I think so often sometimes the way we measure failure is taking that composer and giving them here, give us some political speech. And it's like, they might not do so well, but if they were to write some kind of work surrounding that, very clearly they might get their idea across. And I think sometimes our failures are that measurement system is not really related, but something that's a little bit more practical. Again, another dear friend and mentor and business partner who recently passed, we did a lot of different projects together. And through the course of many of them were successful some were not some we were sure should have been successful and they didn't some we thought were okay this will be kind of fun and then those were very interesting because he was a ferocious personality because he just never let what i would consider the failure to affect him i mean i could be so bummed out oh this didn't work or this label's not taking this or we're not doing it just never fazed him and his immediate reaction was there was always a pause and he said okay here's what we're going to do. And it was his reaction every time. And I think when you experience that failure, that you need to look at it from a macro level. And when you look at it from that high level, it's like, okay, I'm up here. Here's where we got to go next. And then you make those moves. And I think when you're stuck in that micro, it's like, well, this went wrong, and then this, and then and this, and it's just, uh, I mean, no good comes from that. I think that's very challenging to, and that's where I, you know, again, that funk and that, yeah, just the funk of all of that lives. And so, I, again, that was just really great training for me to just when things did not work out as I had hoped or expected. It was just the okay. Here's what we're going to do. Again, I just always hear his voice say that to me. And that's just been ingrained in my skull.
0: I love this concept of zooming out and, and seeing the failure in the grand scheme of things because I, I agree. I think that helps us put it in the place and, and also gives us the chance to say, what can I learn from that? And then what can I do because of what I've experienced? So absolutely love that advice, Miles. Well, I have to say, it's been an absolute pleasure getting to know you better. I'm so grateful that you were willing to take a couple minutes out of your day to chat with us. Oh, it's
1: been my pleasure. And it's I really appreciate the conversation. It's been wonderful
0: to learn more about miles work and upcoming book, visit his website by using the link in this episode's bio below. Thanks for joining us here at the career studio today. Please join us next week as we continue to discuss this month's theme of failures to bright futures.